0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute.
1: So we're going to focus on the, the, what's been going on with the Syrian refugees, the debate um, over the last few weeks, and um, there's obviously many issues, I want to discuss it from the Torah perspective, most uh, of the, obviously the economic um, ramifications of it so we're going to focus on that and obviously try to stay away from the politics but uh, just more in general again using Torah concepts um, what would the Torah have to say should we be accepting the, these refugees into our country or not um, so I must make a disclaimer as I have in the past I am a, I'm a first generation uh, child of the survivor my father was an immigrant, my mother actually was also both my mother and father were immigrants to this country. Um, so I do have a lot of uh, gratitude that they were ex- um, accepted into this country as immigrants because obviously I wouldn't uh, be here today if not if not for that policy um, way back when. so so that's my disclaimer so I do have obviously as, as a son of a Holocaust survivor son of. Holocaust one survivor and another an immigrant. Um, Clearly, I have a leaning towards allowing refugees and being kind to refugees into this country. But that being said, so I want to discuss it from, again, from the Torah perspective, applying some of the rules. Some of them we have discussed in the past. Some we haven't. Um, Fascinating stuff. As we know, this is another example of where the Torah clearly addresses contemporary issues um, that are happening and the d- debates that are happening in our, si- our society today. So the question is here, um, as I put on top, is how much are our countries obligated to compromise their own security and economic system to help the less fortunate? So the general question, not, not just related to, to this particular issue of, of the immigrants here. It's um, a general question, but we're going to obviously apply those principles um, to the current situation. Yes.
2: Are there differences between individuals and countries?
1: Um, Well, we're...
2: Are my obligations different than maybe a country's obligation? Well, you
1: can't bring someone to this country without having permission from the country, right? The question is, once they're here, maybe what your obligations are as far as how nice you have to be to them, should you invite them for Shabbat dinner or things like that. But as far as the general question, as a a society, what are our societal obligations to, to accept them? Obviously, once they're here, that, that is a good question, meaning uh, if you're against it, let's say in general, let's say you are you don't think they should be here, now they're here. So now that becomes, it might be a different question as an individual now, do I accept them, do I hire them, should I employ them, should I have them over for Shabbat dinner, etc. So that's, that is a good question. But first we're going to discuss the general question, um, but, but a lot of the principles we're going to discuss are probably the same for an individual in society, but there might be some differences. That was a good point. Okay, so source number one, these sources we have presented here in the past when we were discussing uh, illegal immigration in general, that the Torah very clearly um, favors acting kindly to immigrants per se, specifically. Um, When you have a society, throughout the Torah, I think it's one of the most oft-stated mitzvot, commandments in the Torah, which is that you need to, it says... The, the mitzvah, in Hebrew the term is meta metager, shall love the ger. Now ger, and as, as we mentioned here in the past, has two connotations to it. The word ger, the Hebrew word ger, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Hebrew word ger means convert, um, can be translated as convert, but it also is translated as stranger. Literally the word ger means a stranger. Um, now sometimes when the Torah says you shall love the Gare. sometimes it's referring to a convert, sometimes it's referring to a stranger as a, as a stranger in your land, and that's not necessarily a convert to Judaism. Um, but the point is, in both cases, the principle is the same. The Torah is stating very clearly that um, we as Jews, we need to be kind to the stranger, whether it be a stranger to Judaism, someone who converted to the Jewish religion, um, because as we know, and the Torah states this, as we know all too well, as Jews, we've been there, done that, we've been in situations, the Torah is referring to the situation of our sojourn in Egypt, where we were slaves, and we were treated um, in disdain because we were strangers in that land, we had a different culture within the Egyptian culture, Jews were of a different culture, therefore they were treated differently, and eventually they they were sold into slavery, or not even sold, they were, they were, the government um, used them as slaves, So therefore, says the Torah, since you know what it's like to be treated as a stranger in a strange land, therefore we have an obligation as Jews to to treat strangers equally um, to either other Jews or citizens of our country, depending again the context. So the Torah says very clearly that a stranger in in the land, and it's referring to the land of Israel in this case, has to be treated equally um, as to any other citizen, uh, Jew or non-Jew, of the country. Okay, so that's a very important concept. And as I said, it's probably one of the most off-stated mitzvot. For many people are religious. Um, you know, they, they keep many of the commandments. But unfortunately, um, even within our own community, we, have a, we sometimes, it's a very hard mitzvah. That's why the Torah has to repeat it. Because human nature is to treat people who are different than us differently. Okay?
2: You're not really addressing the, yes, I'm with you. But it's talking about the stranger who dwells among you, not the stranger who comes in from 9,000 miles away.
1: Yeah, well, they're going to dwell among us. The question is, you're right. We're not addressing the question, should we take him in? But the Torah is saying very clearly, when someone does come to your country who is a stranger or into your community who is a stranger, he needs to be treated equally, um, whether he's an immigrant, whatever the case is, whether he's legal or illegal, doesn't differentiate, maybe. We have to, we'll get to that, but they need to be treated, you can't treat them any less because they're from a different culture or or, uh, or, dif- or they're not the same as us. That's step number one. Now, it's sh- not answering the question, you're right, it's not addressing the issue of should we admit them to the country.
2: Well, so, so we're in Egypt, and then people are coming in from from all over the place, that's
1: what in Egypt? Why are you doing
2: it as as equals? They came in. Speak
1: from- louder. Speak up. <clears throat> I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, it it just doesn't seem to me that this translation of, of number one seems to talk about somebody coming in from a different country.
1: Well, it is. They're dwelling among you. How'd they get here? Why Why would there be a stranger, a stranger dwelling in your country? Obviously, they came from a different geographic location. I mean, to you give the
2: example of Jews. If they're citizens... The Jews were there for 240 years. They were strangers in Egypt for 240 years.
1: Yes, but they came from a different land. They came from a different culture, a different land. Okay. Right? They came from somewhere. That's why they were treated differently initially. That's the of the point. So, so they obviously... You, very seldom are you going to have a country where you have strangers. Obviously, they came from somewhere else, the fact that they're not part of this culture. Okay, so let's say take the, the people from African descent or North African descent in, in France. So you, they, you're right, now they're French. They might be second generation, but their, their fathers came from somewhere else. So they're no longer, they're, they're a different culture. So what the Torah is saying is if you have a country like that you need to treat them equally just the, f- the mere fact that they came from somewhere else and they're strangers meaning they have a different quote unquote a different culture does not allow you to discriminate against them in any which way is what the Torah is saying very clearly
2: very clearly Very.
1: yes obviously the fact that they're a stranger means they came from somewhere else you don't have strangers who grew up and were bred in, in your land you can listen it's happening it is happening now in Europe. You're right, where we have second and third generation. But that that's not that's not necessarily what the Torah is referring to. The Torah says very clearly in some of the verses, just as, as in the next verse, quote number two, it says, You shall not turn to oppress a stranger, for you having yourselves been strangers in the land of Egypt. We weren't born in Egypt. Right, you came down here. We weren't from born New in New York. Egypt.
2: You came here from New York. Right. Been, you're a stranger in Sorry. Houston, you're still a stranger. But you came to but it's not like you came from Sweden.
1: Yeah, but what's the difference? So You're right. The fact that I'm a Yankee and I'm living in the South, yes, I'm treated differently. And that's what the Torah is saying. Don't treat, you're right, here it's, whether it's state lines or whether it's confederate or whether it's countries, what's the difference? Saying, whatever reason the person's a stranger, whether it's a different culture, whether it's a different religion, different, uh, whatever it may be, that's not a reason the Torah says to treat them differently. They have to be treated equal. It's a very clear statement. Why do you have a problem that's Anyone else have, is having the same problem as Scott is having? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I don't think it's telling... Okay, we we'll, so we'll How find do you interpret
1: out. the verse? Uh,
2: I'm, I'm just having a different... Stranger to me, I, I mean... It, it's tough because you're saying... Immigrant and this and that and, and from another, but stranger yeah, it to doesn't me, does say it mean I'm, I'm doesn't mean a combatant, enemy, somebody. Uh, uh, no,
1: that's a different question. We're gonna get to that. Whether if they're a okay. danger to your society, that's something else. A we're talking about somebody
2: like I'm saying, like okay. So we're talking about
1: a person who is a different race should, and culture. Okay. Just the mere fact that they're wearing a burqa is not a reason to to discriminate against it. That's what I'm saying, or a keeper or whatever they're that's wearing. Than what? Different.
2: Okay, I'm with you. I, I, that's taunting, but.
1: Okay. Oh what? Wow. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with
2: you. Let's go. Let's
1: go. Okay, so by the way, it says by the, way, the, the last the last quote I have here is two it says besides you should shall not taunt them um, with words, and it also says you shall not oppress them financially. It means even financially they have to be treated equally. So whatever um, financial uh, I don't know what you want to call it assistance is being offered to our own citizens in a certain sense. You have to offer that to the stranger, too. That's what the, That's what at least this medrash seems to be implying. You treat them equally financially, too. You can't say, I'm not going to hire them. I'm only going to hire this person, not that person, only a local. You know, they have to be given equal opportunity in the financial markets also, is an important aspect, since this is a business ethics class. Okay, now, so that, that's the general rule that we discussed in the past, which I believe states very clearly that Someone's culture or race or religion is not a reason for discrimination. That's a Torah value. The concept that we have in this country, which is American value also, which our founding fathers probably got from the Bible, from these verses, is, is the same is the same value. Same concept. We don't know what happened to that for the forks. I brought so, so, so disappeared. Um so so but when it comes to charity, so we did also discuss this in other contexts in the past. There's a very important concept, which is a general principle in all of in all of um, when it comes to financial concerns or not or non-financial concerns, whatever the case may be. Concept known in Hebrew is the concept is known as chayekha, codeman Literally, the word chayecha means like chayim, your life. Chayekha means your life. Kodmin takes precedence. So just as as an individual. Uh, situation as the case I brought here which is a famous lifeboat ethics case Talmud talks about you have two people traveling um, there's only one in the desert there's no water they only have one jug of water between them so there's two (coughs) opinions as to what has to happen both if they shift there's only enough water for one person okay one guy has a has a bottle of water there's no other water available no Walmart around um, so do I have to share my water with the other person or not says the Talmud, two people traveling, one of them had a canteen of water, both of them drank, they would both die, so if they shared the water, there's not enough for, for for both of us, so it's only one of us can live, but if one of them drank, only he might make it back to an inhabited area and live, so ben Petura said, better both should drink, share the water, than see his friend's death, that was the opinion of ben Petura. but it says when Akiva came along, and this is the assumption of how he ruled, he taught no. The verse says in Leviticus, it's an explicit verse that says in the concept of charity, it says, "V'chay achicha Your brother shall live with you. That's the language. It says you shall help your brother out if he's destitute, but he shall live with you. Says says the Talmud on that verse. Says Rabbi Kiva. That's coming to tell you that if by giving charity you're gonna, it's gonna be detrimental to your own life. Not detrimental that you're not gonna be able to afford your Tesla it's detrimental that it means you're literally your life will be endangered by helping someone else so then of course your life takes precedence over someone else's life okay so that means if it's a choice again we're not talking about luxuries we're talking about if, you, if you're not going to be able to put, put food on your table because you're giving charity to someone else you're helping some other destitute person out, then of course the law is Kiva, your life takes precedence okay so that's a very important concept within all of Jewish law um, and not only it does it, it's, it's not only again it doesn't, it's not only a life and death situation this particular situation is life and death but even if it's going to affect you in, as an individual in, in a detrimental way again not, in a, not that you're not going to be able to acquire all the luxuries you want or you're not going to go on your cruise but it means you're going to literally not, not your family life is going to be affected by it in a, in a serious way so then, again, the law is your life takes precedent. Um, in that case, you would be exempt from performing the act of kindness, whatever it may be. It's not only relevant to money, whatever the case may be. Um, now this is, so This is again, this is actually, as Gatti pointed out before, this is actually addressing an individual. We have two individuals. But the same would apply to a society. We could take the same principle and say the society, if society, by helping out, other the destitute people will be affected in, in a detrimental way so then the law is society would not be obligated to help another society so just as in two individuals I'm not obligated to help someone if it will affect my life personally in a detrimental way so, so to a society would we'll not be obligated to help let's say people from another society if um, that would be detrimental to to our society, okay. So so applying that to, uh, to the Syrian refugee crisis. So I, that's what I wrote down here on top of the page. This seems to dictate that perhaps we don't have to save refugees at the expense of risking our own lives. So if some way, we're saying either financially, it, it will affect our society in a detrimental way. Again, it doesn't mean we're gonna not gonna have the luxuries, maybe, but but we'll get to that in a second. Or um, if you're scared there's a, there's a security se- uh, concern by bringing them in, so where it could affect our lives. So clearly in that case, according to this dictate of Chayecha Code, in this principle, I, I would venture to say, again, this is my own um, venture, to, that uh, you would not have to do that at the expense of society. Now where do you draw the line? Uh, you know, how do you define, let's say, uh, we're not going to be able to have as many parks. Because obviously it's a question of, let's say, health care. We're not going to be able to afford uh, the same level of health care for our own society if we have to bring in, uh, you know, if we take in 200,000 refugees and have to supply them with health care. Let's say that would be an issue. So that's, that's clearly a case where we would say, no, we're not obligated to do that. So it would be detrimental to our society, even in a monetary fashion, and um, we wouldn't be obligated to help, them, maybe according to this principle.
0: See, I, I, and I think you, I, I'm going to try. I know you're deaf on this side. Yeah,
1: well,
0: but try. that's where I think the great question is what is detrimental, and you said it, what, what's the line of what's uh. detrimental for security and economically? Yeah, that's and, a very good question. You know, whether it's Syrian refugees or people coming across the border from Mexico, and should you deport 11 million, I'll use that as a gross example. There are no. I'll use Republican, but there are, no, there are no businessmen that I know that want to deport 11 million people. Zero. Because it's just a pure economic decision. It's 11 million, people, 11 million fewer people buying groceries, gasoline, renting houses, uh, renting apartments. I don't know a single business person that says, good for the economy, send 11 million people out of here. So but there's a cost.
1: Yes, so, so that, but first of all, I just want to point out, so deporting people is a different question, which we'll maybe discuss hmm. at the end. That's a, that, Initially, we're discussing, should we bring them in? Once they're here, that really gets back to what's going of saying, now, I might have a, a different obligation once they're here um, to help them. The question is, should we bring them in to begin with? There's two, really two issues on the and, table. And that's
0: right, is there a security risk of bringing them in, and is there a cost? Initially, and then on an economic basis, What's the cost of bringing them, and then? But what's the benefit? Because lots of things have a cost up front that may have an economic uh, benefit later. Later on, that's
1: true. But but once they're here, the only let with the with the with the immigration issue of 11 million people here, that's a whole different question. of Should we get rid of them now? That that might be different because now they're they're in our society, and that gets to Scotty's point. Once once they're here, we have, might have an obligation to treat them nice. We'll get to that, too, in a second. If they're doing things that are illegal, that's a different story. Um, so we'll, but we'll get it. But, but that's a good point. So so there's a, it's a really a ex- we can't define. How do you act, act, define something that's economically detrimental or not? I'm not an economist. I don't know how to predict. Like you say, it could be initially there'll be a cost, but down the line, listen, the Jews came in they, to settle them. Initially, there was a cost when the refugees came after World War II. But clearly, they contributed so much to society. Where I don't, I think that the cost of uh, settling them initially is probably detrimental at least with the Jewish refugees. There's a lot of analogies being made now between those. But, uh, so, so... Well, again,
0: nobody wanted at the turn of the century, nobody wanted the Irish refugees. N- nobody wanted the Polish refugees.
1: Nobody wanted anyone, right? N-
0: nobody wanted the Jewish refugees, and the exact same arguments were made. So, now you can say, well, there's benefit, but the argument was made, nobody wanted the Jews, you know, in, from Ger- no no country, wanted mm-hmm. the Jews of Germany or Poland yeah. In 1936 to 1942.
1: Right, but over there, the only difference I can think of is true. The only difference is the yeah. he, over there was purely economical. I don't think anyone viewed the Jews as a security threat. Or, I, mean, I don't think the Japanese were viewed as, think, as a security I think threat. if
0: you could review the history of the writings of the time, they were a detriment to society in every way.
1: Yes, but From I'm just saying, I don't acting. think anyone thought they were going to come in and blow themselves up or shoot up theaters. Okay. I don't think know, I view the Jews but I think they, The Japanese were. I think,
0: I think they viewed the detriment in, in the broadest possible sense. I think there were uh, charges alleged that they were treasonous. Oh, okay,
1: okay.
0: So, what's treason?
1: Yes. They were I'm sure that people made the charges.
0: They were Okay. Uh, I mean, but you don't thing, get to they, say they were uh, proven wrong. It's uh, right. sort of like saying, well, you know, the Mexican immigrants are bad for us, and here are the 19 reasons why the same was said about the Jews or the the Poles or the Irish. The Irish were said to be lazy.
2: Mm. Yeah, but none of them pointed that they were all of Judeo-Christian faiths. faiths. You are now dealing with somebody who is somebody an immigrant, a stranger, who is no longer being brought up with the same fundamental Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded in. So you're talking now about a different stranger, and that's what Yeah, but the Torah
1: doesn't only say, "Well, the, be nice to the stranger of Christian faith." Well, today that's and why I'm saying Egyptians it's a
2: very liberal—not in the political sense—a very liberal interpretation My inter- that says, "Oh, the stranger means because." I'm not so sure that we're talking about the strange okay, stranger. Okay, so no one—I haven't seen
1: anyone. A so good point, but I haven't seen anyone who differentiates in interpreting the verse and saying the only stranger you have to treat nicely is someone who was brought up in the same Christian Judea faith, On the contrary, the Torah is talking about here: Egyptians clearly were pagans; they didn't have the same. Um, most of the at the time the Torah was written was no one in the world besides the Jews who had Christian Judeo faith. And, so and everyone was I, I think you
0: make a great point that, that about, you know, uh, to me that the word here stranger is pretty broad, but I think your point is just really good <coughs> in the political sense of the value system is totally different. At the same time, while we see it, sitting around this table, that it's a Judeo-Christian ethic, I think there are a lot of Christians in this country that see it's a Christian ethic, and we fall... I think our interpretation is Judeo-Christian. I think we could drive to some parts of the city that would say, are you kidding me? The effing Jews? We don't need that shit. We see it a little differently.
1: No, you're saying the founding fathers so the question is what how the family but, family but i'm family. saying i think
0: yeah. there are folks in town who yeah. have the well, same no feeling question. towards us
2: well there's no question about that but they would they would still tell you yeah. that uh the evidence old testament is is gospel so whereas the stranger we're talking about to my understanding most of the syrian refugees to be specific are are not raised with any of the Judeo-Christian values that the country was founded on, that's all. Get getting. Oh, yeah. And so that word "stranger," where I, I certainly understand that the, the liberal interpretation, of, and it does. You now you're getting into really is it a risk versus a stranger, and I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. So the risk is irrelevant to the Christian there. Yeah, meaning, if there's a risk, we're going to talk about that. That's a whole definition. But, we're, we're, again, um, que- the first question is, before we get into security risk, that's a whole, dif- that, no question, would override, if there truly is, the facts are there are security risks, I'm, al- I'm almost positive that would be, would say you don't have to take them in. But the issue would be, the issue is saying, they're just detrimental to society, not because of the values, well, maybe that is a good point, maybe values are going to... Uh, you know, there's a concern, maybe, of um, watering down our, our own American culture. Maybe I don't know. Get to that, but I'm dealing with just even detrimental economically. Um, that's really the issue here at this at this point. Chaya Kodman, this your life takes precedence is literally your life. Yes, security concerns, but also even economically, and it's so a detriment.
2: Know your life takes precedent. I mean, right. As so that's the question.
1: Meaning is that that's what I was saying before. It's a very. Where do you define detrimental to society from an economic right, viewpoint? Words, if I'm not going to be able to have the same lifestyle uh, that I had told now, does that mean it's detrimental? How, where do you draw the line? So the truth is, it's not only about needs. Even, even we live in a great society where we have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things that are considered. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not pleasure.
2: Modern convenience.
1: Opportunity. No, I'm saying what other societies probably is considered is is a is a pleasure. What's the word? Not pleasure. Comfort. What? Comfort? Comfort or above and beyond in our pleasure. society. That's that's probably a necessity for many people at this point of of our lovely country. So let's say even for example, let's the, the Talmud talks in other places, not relevant to this. Um, for example. Um, they have two villages on the mountain. Okay, There's a famous, also famous lifeboat ethics case. So the top village, the river goes down the mountain. So if the top village uses, obviously, if they need the drinking water, they get it first. Even at the expense of the downward village, they could take the drinking water. But let's say they just need to wash their clothes with the water. Can they do that, even though the bottom village is now not, is going to lack drinking water? They just want to use it, do their laundry in the river, which will now affect the bottom village. Says the Talmud, yes. Because if this is the way your society, if the fact is that you're the river comes to your village first, you have precedence. And if for whatever society needs, even at the expense of the other societies, allowed. So even if it's technically, you could say, you know, washing clothes may be considered a luxury, in a certain sense. That's what the word I was looking for. It's a luxury. Says the Talmud. So, for example, let's say, because you can make the argument, and we're not going to go there with, uh, let's say, uh, with universal health care. Let's say we we should spend, saving lives is the most important thing, so let's spend all our money, most of our budget should be going to healthcare, as opposed to opera, you know, culture in society, building parks, national parks, things like that. So, so why do we say that? Spend all our money for the greatest healthcare, because that's saving lives, that takes precedence over everything else. It's not true, because we understand part of society is having culture, okay? Society needs to have culture besides the necessities of society. Society can't exist, so that is also considered, in a certain sense, a necessity for a society. Maybe not for an individual, but a society needs to have opera, needs to have parks. We need to, so even at the expense of now, healthcare is going to be it's not going to be as good because we can't apply all those funds to healthcare. So I think the same thing would apply here. It's, a, it's it is a it is a liberal definition in the sense of it doesn't have to be a necessity when we see detrimental to society. So if by them coming in, or I don't know them, I don't want to use saying, If by bringing a group of people in where now our society, even the culture of our society might be, uh, in a certain way affected. Okay, that's also a problem. It's not just necessities of society. So it's an interesting. So exactly where to draw the line? It's obviously a very gray area. But but that's important. So that's number one. The the other thing is there's another principle we said, in the law in the principles of charity is which is something called discussed it here in the past also that there's a hierarchy in charity. So there's something called aniyeh ircha code. Um, which means if I have X amount of funds to to give to indigent, indigent people, the the poor of your own society, of your own city comes first. okay? so so there's an argument I've seen which I think would fit here when it comes to the refugees meaning, let's say if we are not treating our veterans, we don't we can't afford to take care of our veterans, or whatever the case may be, the indigent of our own society, the homeless people in our own society, or even the immigrants that are here already. so, can, should we now bring in new people, and which the funds will be moved from from the current immigrants who need them, or the current uh, whatever it may be, our veterans, and, and now give them to people? So according to this principle, is saying we have to take care of our own first. Okay, that takes precedence. Now, obviously, again, there's a fine line. How do you draw? How much money should we be giving to our own? How much? What does it mean taking care of our veterans? What does it not mean? Okay, so. Again, it's, it's a gray area, but there is a principle of we need to take care of our own before we start taking care of others. So even though, we, again, we have the principle, we have to treat them properly, but if we're not treating our own properly, we always need to take care of our own first. I always um, say I have a story with... Uh, this is a sister-in-law's brother who went to speak to her Moshe Feinstein in 1973 when the Vietnamese boat people were coming into the United States. I think I've said this here before. To ask him whether we, as Jews, as a Jewish society, community, should we be going out there protesting. <coughs> excuse this me. Special. At the time when they were turning turning away the <coughs> Vietnamese uh, boats, um, so Moshe Feinstein yes said yes. It's an obligation to as a Jewish community we need to be out there protesting in front in the front lines with everyone else because we do have an obligation to them. He said, but before you go you protest, bring
2: them in. To let them in. To
1: let them in, at the time. This was in the 70s, before my time, uh, early 70s. Um, He said, but, he said, we should be doing that, but first we need to take care of the problems of our own community first. So meaning, yes, we do have an obligation, technically speaking, uh, by, by this commandment. He said, we need to be out there protesting to allow them in and taking care of them. But the question is, first... We need to take care. We have a we have a a, a uh, priority list and who we need to take care of first. First, we need to take care of our own community. Then we deal with them. So yes,
0: that also comes back to your point, which I mean I'm really personally struggling with. I mean the, the they're not Judea, but the Vietnamese were clearly not Judeo-Christian. Also, just 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 <coughs> follow that away for the moment, and then what what about you know which is made me start thinking about this even more, what about when you created it? So the Vietnamese refugees were as a result of our doing, you know, having a war on their country, uh, or carrying the war to their country, and the Syrians, you know, and I'm not trying to make the argument, I, you know, a lot of people say the refugee crisis is of the United States making. And so now what's how does that change our obligation? Right. Because that changes my thinking. Of you know, do I really want two hundred and fifty thousand Syrians coming? I don't think so. But then, what's our obligation where we create, where we made them refugees, <coughs> and they're starving, dying?
1: That's a, that's whether, whether they're
0: Judeo-Christian, Laotian, <laughs> or, or Buddhist, worshiping or wearing burkas. Well, actually, I don't obligation? want to,
1: David. I hate to say this, but that's Chris Christie's argument. What you're saying, Chris Christie. Said I, I, I he, think it's that's what he said. I heard him say this. He said, "He said, listen, uh, uh, you know, now Obama's saying we should take in The rest of it's his fault because if he would have not crossed the red line and initially gave to Syria, and he would have done something initially about Syria. Then it wouldn't be this whole problem." So he's saying it's all. About
0: well, that that so, that drives to, you no.
1: know, why. Right, no, but he's I saying it, it is our fault. He's I'll, saying it's the United States' fault. Right, it is It is our fault
0: in some form or fashion. Whether it's he bombed or he didn't bomb or he, he created or he, you know, or he allowed or he didn't allow, we're only looking at the the issue this morning. Well,
2: regardless, it's not our fault.
0: Oh, so he said it is. I know what everyone's saying. My mind is
2: the fault well, we could have prevented it. Right. There, okay? Right. I think, no, right, we we prevented I think that's it. right. And I mean that's the bottom line. I think line. that's right. Now, now, that's that's I mean, bombed or not. Okay, fine you can argue,
0: but it's really not the US. Because it's there's fault no guarantee. He's okay. a madman. Right. There's no guarantee that in any way that if he bomb, if he said, okay, the red line, I'm bombing that. F out of you this so, so morning that, the, that all would be right, good no, today. Issue, though, agree. <laughs> it's easy to say it turned yes. out this way. But, but have,
2: okay, so, so on the other side, and, and I, I'm agreeing with a lot of this, meaning that no, you shouldn't talk or oppress a stranger, and yes, you should accept them, and they should have one law, and the, no discrimination. I'm, I'm with all of that. But now with the class, and, and I'm specifically speaking about a, a, a Syrian immigrant that we're talking about in the United States, I'm assuming it's a class, I don't know that, that like I said, that stranger is actually it, but have, so so have we tried other things? Have we tried aid? Because these people are starving. It's a, it's a horrible thing what's going on, whether or not you're on one side or the other. Right. So, so what do we do now going forward? And is our money best spent and I have no idea, but I've heard safe zone or camp or whatever you do is our money better spent over there? I'm just thinking this this certainly does add, add credence to yes, bring them in, and and I'm for that. But I'm not so sure this is Solution. the the stranger that that maybe right,
1: everyone's talking okay. about. So, so I just so want to address our, our
2: money better spent doing yeah, something it's great rather point. than yeah, arguing about if there's Kylie's a red
0: point? line or shouldn't the right. They are where they they're are. No, no, it's a great all point. Agree. That those quarter million people, or however millions, they didn't do shit. Right,
2: they're in a horrible,
0: horrible. They, they were just spot. hanging around. No matter, no matter. No I want to address I agree with
2: they that. I'm, saying, I'm not saying that, but as an American, you know, we do have a constitution that is of Judeo-Christian descent. So maybe there's wait, 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 an going argument back the same thing. I
1: want to address your point that you made. It's very important okay. point, which is in charity. <laughs> I didn't put this on the sheet. I was thinking should I or should I not? But anything was relevant. But now that you brought it up. Meaning there is, we discussed this in the laws of charity, it says the best, the highest form of charity is not to give someone a handout, it's to give them a loan, as we discussed many times. That's why David's in the loan business. So, so... We're all
0: in the helping business here. That, that's we're, all, so we're in the helping business.
1: we the <laughs> so, a- aid. So, meaning, so, so you're right, if the, the ideal way might be to help them stay where they are and help them there. Because that, maybe you can make that analogy, that that would be like giving them a loan, if that's possible. Again, I don't know enough. We're not, we don't know enough about the military situation, at this point I'm not sure we can do that anymore, but at some point, meaning, could we have helped them by having them stay there, and like you were saying, make it, create a safe zone, whatever it is. I don't know enough about the politics of it, but that might have been, you're right, ideally, that would have been ideal, according to the laws of charity, it's not, it's, because they're going to come here, we got to give them a hand, that's the way it's going to work, at least initially. They're gonna need handle, they're gonna need schooling, they're gonna need healthcare, they're gonna need everything, right? So h- housing. So you're right. That is the lower level of charity. Ideally, of course, if we could have fixed it there, that would have been the best. However, I don't know if it's possible. Again, that's not you know assuming it was, you're right, you're hundred percent right. That would be the ideal within these principles that we're using. I didn't I didn't put that down because I didn't wanna go there, but now they brought it up. So there's there's one last thing which I found, which is fascinating. I never knew this existed, um, which is I found an argument amongst the early authorities. This exact question, an interesting question, which I don't know if there's this question within... within, uh, Western law, which is, do the inhabitants of a city have, do they, how does it work? Do you? Can you tell someone, I don't want someone moving into my city? Does that exist? Let's say Houston will decide, we don't want anyone coming, which is really the debate going on today. Governors, you have governors of states saying, we're not going to accept Syrian refugees. Okay, so is that even legal? I don't know how it works in, in our country. I mean, it seems like actually it's probably going to end up the courts because no, the not, federal government is saying they have to take them even though governors, what?
0: States, cities and states don't have the right to uh, say deny that, people. but they
1: are you have governors saying no, that they, have 23 no. states saying they're not going to take
0: you need to distinguish between what they're saying right. and what they, well, they can action. do
1: right.
0: they're not able to send the the state national guard to guard the borders
1: right, right. Well, well the texas said governor abbott said last weekend he's not going to let them in from te- to Texas yeah, at that's the Texas border, a poli- that's a and the government saying st- that he doesn't have a the right to say it. Right.
2: Huh? That's a political statement. That's a They go through non-governmental, the, <laughs> the, uh, the usually Christian charities anyway. So it's a moot point. You can go <laughs> right. You, you're you can go there where. Are, you're right. you're right. There were 33 governors. That is correct. That have sued. So it was that, that have sued 33. That have sued. That says they can not do it, and it's. Uh, it's not under the Constitution. It's under Section Eight of the some other. There is a statute that they are claiming. A- and
0: every time, every time a governor doesn't like something, they claim state rights. So that, if you recall, was why Governor said we don't have to let black kids into these public schools. That's state rights. And the court said.
1: Bullshit. <laughs> All right, so let's see. So this is something I found, which is fascinating. I didn't know this question even existed. So I found that someone sent me this um, before last week. It says like this: Th- During the Middle Ages, many Jewish people could only live in designated areas of the city. Often, Jews from other were number six on, on the list. Yeah, number six. Um, often Jews from other cities looking for economic opportunity. This was Jews with Jews, um, would seek to move to other cities. However, the Jews of that city feared that the newcomers would deplete their sources of livelihood. Furthermore, the space in the ghetto, as Jews historically lived in ghettos, was often cramped and insufficient for the original inhabitants' natural growth. Accepting newcomers could come at a real expense to the existing Jewish population. Do the existing inhabitants have the right to stop the newcomers from joining their community? So this was a question posed in the 1100s, um, to the early authority. So, so you have, of course, it's Judaism, so you have two opinions. Um, so the, you have the view of the Rush, who was, uh, it was an acronym, for his name was Rabbeinu Usher. Um, so he writes, he was asked this following question, can a Jewish, Jewish person want to come to a different city, conduct business, do the inhabitants have the right to stop him from joining their city? So the Rush responded, um, that basically what he says is if he is willing to pay taxes, and sharing the financial burden of the community, inhabitants do not have the right to stop him from joining the community. If he's only coming for business, meaning he wants to pay, do business to, to make money, and is not willing to share the burden, the inhabitants have the right to stop him from competing with them and causing them to lose their livelihood. So this gets into a whole really other question, but it's an economic competition question, um, maybe even flying in the face of capitalism in a certain sense, but this is the whole question of Walmart versus mom and pop, maybe. But but without leaving all that out of it, he's just saying, the Rush is saying very clearly, as long as they're ready to share in the financial burden of society, they're ready to be citizens and pay taxes and do whatever they have to do, then you have no right to say you can't come into our city. Okay, That's what the Rush said very clearly.
2: Um, Can you parallel this to the 19th century when the German Jews were here first? There were large numbers of German Jews, especially in the The East Coast and all over. And then the later part of the 19th, early 20th century, then our people, the Russians and Poles and...
1: and the Germans were not happy.
2: ...came in, and there was prejudice. Yeah, Prejudice against our people coming from Lithuania. From our
1: own people, meaning from our own.
2: Okay, because the early Germans had already assimilated and
1: very... People were coming in uh, looking very Jewish. ...less
2: traditional, whatever.
1: And there's just such
0: a parallel there. There was prejudice.
1: So, so what the Russians say very clearly is, you have no right to say you can't come to our, to our city or our society. Can't do that. But if you turn the page. My, my, Rick, who's an acronym for I don't, I don't remember what, um, says, says he seems to argue. He says that as a society, as a city, you have a right to say you can't come live in our city. Again, obviously, this is not, this is not uh, when you have the United States of America. This is talking about. You know if the have a, a certain Jewish community within a certain city a ghetto in this particular case, so the people like ghetto could say listen we can't we can 't afford to take in any more inhabitants, even if they 're ready to partake, even if they 're ready to do business and to pay taxes he still he seems to imply <coughs> that they have a right um, he says um the, he maintains that the inhabitants of a city do have a chazak on their town. They, they, in a certain sense, society says, we own this city. and Therefore, we get to decide who can move in who cannot. This gives them a right to prevent others from moving there, especially if it will hurt their livelihood. According to this approach, the right to live in a city does belong to its inhabitants. As such, newcomers need the permission of the original inhabitants to move in. Okay, so this is a general question. Do I even have a right to... Is there a concept of we own this, this city? And therefore we could say, you can't come in. You can't live. So that's an interesting uh, fascinating question. Um, I found um, that uh, Roberto so I put a number in B, It really mm-hmm. should be C. It's okay. Um, it's okay. okay. It's, uh, he actually, he, uh, Roberto Thomas was one of the balitosos. he actually was a medieval commentator lived in France, early authority from France. Um, he actually, some communities he writes would put newcomers in excommunication. That means they would say no one could do business with them. Because people were coming in, who they didn't want there in this society. Other Jews, these are fellow Jews. And they would actually say no one in the community can do business with ex, they wouldn't allow them into their synagogues, very similar to what you're saying, the turn of the century, um, where the the Jewish community said, listen, we can't afford to have new immigrants coming in, and therefore, if they're going to come here to do business, they're going to affect our livelihood and therefore we're not allowing them to, if they do come in, they couldn't prevent them physically from moving there. Because if they do come in, no one could do business. No one is allowed to do business with them. Any concept.
2: Okay, it's well, certainly not what we just learned here.
1: Again, well he's, I'm assuming, it's a good point, so I'm assuming they're using this concept of it's, it's affecting the society detrimentally, it's affecting our businesses, and therefore, so if that's the case, that might be, and we're saying that's an exception to the rule. The principle is, you have to treat them equally. What we said before is, our life takes precedence. So, society will be detrimentally affected. Which, again, that's a question of how do you define the detrimental aspect. And the, and that's the really what it boils down to.
2: They're using the word newcomers. Is that a gare? They use a stranger? No, it's fellow Jews. It
1: wasn't, it wasn't, so, so it wasn't it's common. not
2: the same. They're not yeah, using Yeah, fellow strangers.
1: Jews. In this case, it was fellow Jews. Okay. Okay. Um, so now, just you know, we don't have much time. I want to get to so on the other side, you have a very another important concept which we discussed here in the past. Something known as there's a concept in, in Jewish law known as midat sedom. Midat means a character trait. Uh, as Jews, we try one of the the epitome of what we don't want to behave like is what's known as sedoms. the city of Sodom was famous for many things, but amongst others, it was famous for they had, they actually mandated anti-hospitality laws. They did not allow um, guests in the city. You weren't allowed to stay overnight in the city. No hotels were allowed. You weren't allowed to have guests overnight. What's fascinating is people don't, the, the Madras discusses, and I quoted it here, I actually paraphrased it, and didn't quote it. Um, Sodom was concerned that non-residents would partake, partake of the La Gresse, Argesse of natural resources of gold, silver, sulfur, and other precious metals that Sodom p- possessed. Sodom was actually, even today, where we know it was archaeologically, which is a Dead Sea area. The Dead Sea is famous if you go to the Galleria. You'll know that they sell all types of uh, minerals and, and mud masks. Why? Because it was destroyed, uh, the, the Torah was destroyed, but it was known for, the, it was rich in minerals. That whole area of Israel still is today. Is very was very rich in minerals at the time. And the people of Sodom, the, of the city, were concerned. People were flocking there. It's like the gold rush. People were coming in and they were going um, to diminish their, their natural resources that, that were there for the people of the city. That's why they, had, they didn't just, they weren't cruel people and said, okay, we're going to outlaw any, any uh, people coming in. It was because they were concerned with their financial welfare. That was the reason. Okay. Um, and it says, in their selfish fear that their wealth might be diminished, they allowed no strangers into their country, which is the country of Sodom. As we know, eventually, the, it was destroyed because of this. Um, it says, the, the famous story, it says, the straw that broke the, camel back, the camel's back was that there was one person who had a guest um, overnight, it was a young woman, came to the town, he kept her overnight. The, the people of the city came, they took this woman out, this guest, They it says they smeared her body with honey stripped her, smeared her with honey, and they allowed bees to, what do we, kill her, stung her until she died. And it says at that point, it says that was the straw that brought, that's when God decided to destroy the city, at that point. Okay, so, so there's a concept with, throughout Jewish law known as Midat Stom, that is Jews, we should not have those attributes. Those are terrible attributes, so it's the epitome of what we don't want to be like. Okay. Um, so much so that it's even mandated, and we discussed this here in other contexts, is a concept called that means in a situation where you're not losing, really, Whereas as a society or as an individual, you can provide, your neighbor comes and wants to borrow something where it's not going to affect it, you know, he wants to borrow, uh, I don't know, it's a good example, a towel from you, and you, you just don't like the guy, and you say, I'm not going to give it to you. So even though you're not losing, he, this guy can benefit from it, and you're in no way losing by giving it to him. If he's borrowing your lawnmower, okay, you could say, listen, it's wear and tear on it, etc. But if he's using something which she can benefit from and you have no way to lose, then it's mandated that you give it to him. But, uh, the halacha says we even force him to give it to him. It's called It means if someone's acting like a sodomite um, and they're not giving uh, someone uh, something they can use, where there is no loss to them if, they, if that person benefits from it, the law is we can force them, the court can force them to, to give it to them. That's what they put down here. That's the rule. When one benefits while one loses nothing. You may force an individual to allow someone to benefit from something. So that's a very important thing. Now, that being said, so, um, there's another aspect to it, which is Lot, who as we know was a, was a resident of Sodom, he actually invited guests to his house famous Lot who was the nephew of Abraham the Torah says he had this attribute he learned from Abraham that you have to be kind and and hospitable so he lived in Sodom he was wealthy but and it says they allowed Lot in because he already was coming in the reason why they allowed Lot into the city is because he was coming with many flock he already had his own resources so therefore they allowed him in and once he was living there, he, he knew from Abraham, you have to be hospitable, you have to invite people to your house, you have to have guests over. So when the three angels came, the Torah says, what happened was the people of the city surrounded his house and they said, give us your guests, we want to kill them. Lot, very strangely, the Torah says that he said, I'm not going to give you the, the, the three guests, he didn't know they were angels, I'm not going to give you my guests, but you can have my daughters and you can rape them, you can do whatever you want to his daughters. Okay? Which is obviously a very strange thing for a father to say. Not a, That's not normal. T- so the, that, that is where I think, and this is an interesting thing, I've seen this, um, that concept of what we call misguided, I put down here, I explain this as misguided hospitality and altruism. I mean, while someone is so altruistic um, that you say you want to help people, even at the expense of yourself, of your own, you get ready to give up your own daughters and let, let these people have their will with your daughters in any which way they want. That is, that's not a good thing either. Because if someone's so kind, where they're kind enough, where it's going to, we're saying, even at the detriment to their own family, that's not a good thing. And Judaism says that, that Lot's altruism was misguided. Abraham knew there's a line, even in hospitality, even in, in kindness, there's a, there's a line where, you say at a certain point, where if it's going to affect our society detrimentally, or even your own, in this case, his own family, that of course is wrong. So that's where the security risks, I think, come in here. And again, I don't know the facts, but assuming there truly is a security risk involved, then clearly that, that would be a problem with letting them in. That's what I want to Now, in conclusion, because we're out of time, is, so again, that what I, at the end of the day, is, if they're willing, and I put that on the bottom, if they're willing to pay their fair share in taxes, we should welcome them and not behave like the selfish people of Saddam. But of course, they must be properly vetted to make sure there's no security threat to our country. Assuming that's possible, and if it is, if it's not, I don't I know. Again, I don't know the facts. Um, whatever the facts are, if there's a true security risk, then clearly that would be a problem. And I put here the, the question is even are they considered a roadiff, a pursuer? Meaning if people are coming in where you know there's a threat, that they can actually be a security threat, so then they might have law of a pursuer where that would be an issue of, of how you deal with them. But bottom line is, we have an obligation, there's, there's obviously competing principles here, clearly have an obligation to be kind to the people, whatever their values are. Even now, unless you make the argument their values are to kill us and blow us up, that would be a different story. Okay, which some of them, that might be. Some do make that argument. So, depending on the facts, we clearly have an obligation to let them in um, if they're not a detriment to our society. If they're going to be a detriment, That's where it gets to, again, how how we view that financial detriment would have to be figured out.
0: You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.